Hey, amen. Good to see everybody. How many of you, this is your first time at Camp Loma De Vida? Awesome. How many of you, this is uh, several times over? You are what they call a, uh, a happy camper, right? You're, just, you're here all the time. All right, amen. Hey, good to see everybody. My name's Eric. Uh, I'm from Yuma, Arizona. How many of you know where Yuma, Arizona is? Yeah, how many of you know where Arizona is? Hey, that's good. We're making progress. Hey, yeah, so uh, Yuma, Arizona is, uh, how many of you ever heard of the movie 310 to Yuma? Cowboy, old western, no? Anybody? All right. Anyways, Yuma, Arizona is uh, right by Mexico and California, all right? About as close as you can get to the border, and uh, as close as you can get to the border of California as well. And um, those earthquakes that were happening, have you heard about those on the news, earthquakes? We were hoping that uh, they would keep happening. Because uh, as soon as California falls off, we got beachfront property, man. I'm telling you. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to sell it for a fortune. All right? No. Uh, but my name's Eric. Just real quick, this is my wife, Lexa. She's in the back standing. And uh, yeah, as you can tell already, she is amazing. And uh, she's holding our son, Logan. He is five months tomorrow. Five months tomorrow. Logan is incredible. You'll have to meet him. He's cool. And then Mason, come here, buddy. Come here. Come on up here, buddy. Mason just turned three yesterday. His birthday was yesterday. And he is, come on. He's been talking about this trip since I told him we were coming. And uh, he is, he is pumped for camp. Can you say hi? Can you say hi? Hi? Yeah. This is uh, one of 17 Marvel shirts you will see him wear this week. It is is about the only thing he wears. His name is Mason, but he prefers you call him Peter Parker, all right? So, all right, buddy, go ahead. You go back to mom, all right? Come on. All right. Well, it is good to see everybody, and uh, that's just my family. And uh, I'm going to lower this if I can somehow. There we go. Perfect. I'm a tall guy, but not that tall. All right. Hey, Gospel of Luke. Can you take your Bible if you got your Bible? Gospel of Luke, chapter number 8. Gospel of Luke, chapter number 8. If you find the New Testament, find Matthew, Mark, Luke. Third book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, chapter number 8 is where we want to be. Luke chapter number 8, this evening. I want to pick up in verse number 26. Verse number 26 of the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 8. Just out of curiosity, how many of you were here two years ago, the week that I preached? How many of you have heard me before here? Okay, awesome. Good to see you back. I'm surprised you're back. And did you know I was speaking this week? All right, anyways. Awesome. Glad you're here. Looking forward to uh, meeting the new faces. This is awesome. I love seeing. I don't know what you're going to do if you keep growing, Brother Mendoza. You're going to have to kick the wall out further, I guess. But man, this is awesome. Glad to be here. Luke chapter number 8, verse 26 is where we want to start tonight. It says, and they arrived at the, at the country of the, Gard- of the Gardaeans, which is over against Galilee. And when he went forth to land, there met him out of the city a certain man, which had devils long time, 
and wore no clothes, neither abode in any house but in the tombs, when he saw Jesus. When he saw Jesus. I don't know if you caught it, so let's just read verse number 27 again. It says, And when he went forth to land, there met him out of the city a certain man which had devils long time. He wore no clothes, neither abode in any house, but in the tombs. But when he saw Jesus, Jesus makes all the difference. All the difference. Uh, real quick thing about me, all right? You, you can't be my friend if you don't know this, so it's one of the first things that comes out in conversation, but I am a Green Bay Packers fan. All right. So, yes, I am I'm a fanatic. I, I proudly wear a block of cheese on my head on game days, all right? I mean, I'm just a fanatic. And so uh, one of, the, uh, one of the, the, the lifelong dreams of mine has been to go to a game in Lambeau Field, all right? If you know anything about American football, if you know anything about the history of football, Lambeau Field is a historic stadium. They have uh, the longest waiting list for season ticket holders that there is. And so I've longed, wanted to go to a game at Lambeau filled. And uh, this year, for my anniversary, uh, my wife handed me a, uh, an envelope. And uh, we're not, um, my wife and I, we're not like big gift givers, if that makes sense. Uh, we're not, that's not like kind of how we are. We'd rather do moments than things and that kind of stuff. And so, uh, not big on gifts or anything like that, but so she hands me this envelope. So I was like, oh, and she got me a card on our on my anniversary, but it's kind of weird because it's, you know, like, it's an envelope, you know, like, like, like a check envelope, you know, and so I'm like, what's in here, you know, and so I opened it up, and I thought she had written maybe like a handwritten note, you know, you know, something that we had done when we were dating that we haven't done since, and so I was like, oh man, this is sweet, you know, and I pulled out, and instead I didn't pull out an envelope, I pulled out two tickets to Sunday Night Football, Green Bay Packers, versus the Chicago Bears in Lambeau Field. And, and I looked at my wife and I said, what are these? She goes, those are tickets to the game. I said, like, we're going to this? And she's like, yeah. I said, how did you afford this? She's like, well, I didn't. <laughs> she's like, this is, uh, this is your anniversary gift this year and next year and your birthday and Father's Day. Just kind, of a, just kind of rolled it all into one, you know. And I said, hey, this is awesome. And uh, it wasn't just Sunday night football, but it was opening week, right? I mean, Chicago Bears, Green Bay Packers, huge rivalry. Like, this is awesome. This is opening week of the 100th season for the Green Bay Packers. So, man, I'm pumped about it. We got the flights, we flew out there, we rented a car, we drove over from Minnesota over to where my, my brother-in-law lives in Madison, and we stayed the night there, drove up, went to a church in uh, Plymouth, Wisconsin on Sunday morning, and uh, they had an afternoon service, because, you know, they're Packer fans too, and so they had an afternoon service, and then after the afternoon service, we drove up to Green Bay, I mean, we're just, we're having blasts, man, we're talking, I mean, this isn't like hopes are dead, this is week one. Super Bowl dreams are alive, right? You know, this is our year. You know, we are going to win, all right? If you know how, anything about how the season went, we did not win, all right? So, but I mean, but at that time, it was like, no, no, no. This is it, you know? Rodgers was hurt last year, but he's good, he's good to go this year, you know? I mean, we're, we're pumped, you know? We are pumped. We got a new defensive coordinator. I mean, I'm talking, you know, to the fans. 
All right, I'm just, I'm out there talking to people I've never known, you know, don't, don't know from Adam, but, you know, we're Green Bay Packer fans, you know, and so, I mean, I'm talking to them like I'm, like I'm their best friend, you know, like, hey, I mean, can't, can't wait for this, right? It's going to be awesome, right? We file into that stadium. I mean, whoo, it was cool, man. We're watching people warm up. We're booing the Bears players as they're warming up. Boo, that's a terrible throw, Mitch. Mitch, you're terrible, you know. Everyone's joining in, boo, you know. Then the Packers come out. I'm like, we cheered for everybody. We cheered for the kicker. We cheered for the punter. He's like practicing punting, which I don't even know how you do. He's just like kicking the ball, and it's like coming right back to him. He's like, hey, good punt, man. That's fantastic, you know. Best punt I've seen all, all year, you know. First, first one, too. And, man, the ref comes out. They call out the captains, right? Here they come. You know, they flip that coin toss. And, I mean, we're pumped. We're pumped. As that ball was kicked, there was just like a holy hush over Lambeau Field, you know? Chills up my back. I mean, it was everything I ever dreamed of, right? And the Bears, I think, went down and scored a touchdown on the first drive, which is not ideal, right? And the Packers came on the field. I was like, man, here they are. Aaron Rodgers, back in business. Let's go. Greatest quarterback in the league. This is going to be best. This is going to be awesome. Three and out, right? It's just like, oh, come on, you know? I did not come to watch us lose, you know? It was 10 nothing. Bottom of the, you know, maybe like two minutes left in the first quarter. Rodgers goes back, and uh, Khalil Mack kind of came off the edge, and Rodgers got the ball out, but he kind of went down awkwardly. And I'll never forget hearing the announcer over the loudspeaker announce number 12, Aaron Rodgers. Hurt on the play. And like, all of a sudden, everyone was dead silent. No one was talking. Everything went from pure excitement to all of a sudden crushing defeat. Like, oh, not again. No. And while everybody else was doing that, I'm sitting there going, my wife paid my entire life savings for us to come to this game and watch Deshaun Kaiser play quarterback. You're like, who's Deshaun Kaiser? Exactly. Exactly. Man, he comes in, he throws an interception right away. I mean, I mean, instantly. Pe- people are talking. I mean, the guy behind us was a season ticket holder. He's like, tell dad to sell the rest of them, and there's not going to be another game worth watching. I'm like sitting here going, this is miserable. This is not what I came to watch, you know? And, of course, we're trying to, you know, look up, you know, what, what's the injury? What's the injury? They're saying torn ACL out for the year. I mean, it's just terrible, 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 terrible. Terrible. It was like 21-3 at halftime. And people are getting up and leaving. Like, they're leaving the stadium. And I thought about leaving the stadium. My wife asked if I wanted to leave. I said, no, we paid money for these seats. We're going to be miserable here the rest of the game. (laughs) I mean, I was just absolutely flustered, frustrated, upset. I, I thought it was over. And that's why I was really surprised when I came back from the bathroom And my wife has a big smile on her face coming into the second half. And she goes, he's warming up. He's warming up. All of a sudden I hear these whispers, 12, is that 12, is that 12, is that 12? And I look back and I see number 12 trot out onto the field. And I'm like, 
they put the Sean Kaiser and Aaron Rodgers jersey thinking it's going to make them play better, you know. But that's not what happened. It was Aaron Rodgers. He had this big brace on his knee, and he's out there jumping around like this, throwing the football. I'm like, what is he doing out there? He's not going to play. Oh, he played. He played. And on the first drive, he let a touchdown. And all of a sudden, we're back in this, baby. Come on, just give us a shot. And the fourth quarter, with two minutes left to go, Rodgers, down by five, finds Randall Cobb over the middle at the 50-yard line, who catches it, dodges the defender, scampers in for a 72-yard touchdown or something like that, voted NFL's greatest play of the year. And I mean, in that moment, I've never screamed so loud or cheered so loud or I mean, we just were absolutely gone nuts. I'm like, chest bumping the guy with no shirt on next to me you know we're just having a blast you know everything was just all of a sudden perfect it was awesome it was great and the Green Bay Packers win the game Woo! yes man I'll tell you this when the Green Bay Packers when it comes to the Green Bay Packers Aaron Rodgers makes all the difference When Aaron Rodgers isn't on that field, the Green Bay Packers are a terrible football team. Terrible. Horrible. But when the the Green Bay Packers have Aaron Rodgers on the field, they have a shot at winning every game. Aaron Rodgers makes all the difference for the Green Bay Packers. Jesus uses a parable in Matthew. It's a real short parable. In, in Matthew 13 and verse 44, he says, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto, a, man, uh, 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 unto a, a treasure hid in the field, the which when a man hath found it, he goeth forth, hideth it, and for joy selleth all that he hath, that he may purchase that field. Okay, so real short parable in Scripture. It's kind of uh, mixed in with four other parables in the book of Matthew. And uh, just, kind of, just kind of one of those, was one of those quick stories Jesus tells. And at first glance, you're just kind of like, okay, it's one of those stories that the Bible has. But when you think about it, think about the story. The man is out in this field doing who knows what. He's cleaning it up. Perhaps he's getting ready uh, to, uh, to uh, clean it up so that, they, so that the owner can sell the land. And while he's cleaning up this field, he stumbles upon this treasure. And he opens that treasure up, and whatever was inside causes him to close the treasure back up, hide it, bury it in the ground, leave his work, gather up everything he has, sells it so that he can have enough money to buy that field. Okay, five minutes before he found that treasure, the thought of selling everything he had to buy it would have never crossed his mind. Never. But the moment he found that treasure, it changed everything. That man found something in that field that changed his entire outlook on life, changed his perspective on life, changed his purpose in life, so that he went forth with joy to sell everything, everything. And people are sitting there going, this is not a good financial investment. What are you doing? That field has nothing in there. But that man knew something about that field that nobody else did. It had a treasure that made the difference in the value of that field. And Jesus used that parable to say, look, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto this 
filled. You know what that means? That means there is something in life that when you find it, it changes everything about you. It changes your perspective. It changes your outlook. It changes your motives. It changes your desires. There is something in this life that when you grab a hold of, it changes everything about your life. And I sit here this evening and tell you, that thing is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can sit here this evening and we can dream of having a, a fantastic job. And man, if I just have a ton of money in my bank account, and man, if I just find that perfect girl, oh yeah. I mean, the, the right one, you know. Or if I just find Mr. Right, you know. You know, the, the tall, dark, and handsome, you know. I mean, if I just find him, my life will be complete. I tell you, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. There is not a single person on this earth that can make a difference in your life like Jesus can. There is not a thing that you can possess that can change your life like Jesus can. Jesus makes all the difference in your life. And here in Luke chapter number 8, we find Jesus in a boat with his disciples coming to the region of Decapolis. Decapolis was a region of, of, of 10 different cities. Uh, they were primarily inhabited by Gentiles, non-Jewish people. This is the first time Jesus is going to branch out to a, 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 a new um, a race. Uh, so far, his ministry has been completely dedicated to Jewish folks. And here he is coming to the edge of the Decapolis area to minister to the Gentiles. And verse number 27 tells us that before he can even get into the city, a man comes out from the hills to meet him. But he's not just any ordinary man. He's a man possessed by devils. He's not just possessed by devils. He's been possessed by them for a long time. Like Luke's just like throwing that in there. Like he had devils long time. Long-time devils in this guy. He was possessed by devils. In fact, if you look down at verse number 29, you'll see that the Bible says that um, uh, at the end of the verse, it says that he broke the bands and was driven of the devil into the wilderness. This word driven literally means that uh, he, his body was a vehicle and the devil was the driver and he was driving him, his life wherever the devil wanted it to go. This man had lost the ability to make decisions for himself. He had been possessed by these devils for such a long time that they ruled and reigned in his life. And you look at the disaster that his life is. Um, he, uh, he dwells amongst the tombs. Okay, I don't even like going to the graveyard, much less at night. This guy is sleeping in the graveyard. Like he's sleeping in the tombs with the dead guys, all right? Like, those are his friends, you know? Like, when he has a tea party, he's watching the game with, with, with your dead uncle, you know? Like, he's just, like, right there, you know? Like, hey, how's it going? You know what I mean? Those are his friends. Those are his people. But it gets weirder. Not only is he dwelling amongst the caves, but he wore no clothes. Like, like none, Zero. <laughs> Wasn't that he didn't have any, it was that he chose not to wear any. None. Nada. This guy's strange, okay? 
Here he is, dwelling amongst the tombs, wearing no clothes, but it gets worse. The Bible says that he welled and weeped at night. He, he didn't abide in any home, but there, uh, there in the tombs, he, he, he's living in the graveyard. He's possessed by demons. Verse 29 tells us that they would bind him with chains, but he could not be restrained. He would break them. He, he, would, he would run and hide out in the wilderness. Mark's account tells us that he was tormented and self-destructive. He would cut himself with glass and bone and bleed out uh, to, to the point of passing out. Uh, he, he, he would cry out all night long, wailing and weeping. And the Bible says in Mark that no man could tame him none he was uncontrollable insane and labeled rightfully so a maniac in fact that's the name we're given of this guy right you ever hear the story of the maniac of Gadara this is him that's his name maniac of Gadara he's in a grotesque condition grotesque condition, marked by sin, possessed of these devils, as a ship driven with oars uh, is, guided by, is guided by those oars. Here's this man who's being driven by the devil. And in verse number 30, Jesus comes face to face with this man. And I tell you, Jesus is about to make all the difference in this man. All of it. Uh, he comes and Jesus says, simply asks him his name. He says, we are legion for we are many. Uh, a Roman legion would have about 6,000 soldiers in it. That's not to say that there were 6,000 demons inside this man. I think if we knew that for sure, they would just tell us it. I think what it means is that these demons were not just possessing him, but they were united. They were ready for war. They were fighting over this man. They were letting Jesus know right away, this guy's not for sale. This guy is ours. And Jesus calls out and casts the demons out of this man. And before he does, like as he's calling them out, he's like, get out of that guy. As, as he's calling out, they're like, hey, 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 um, real quick, can you not throw us into the abyss? Like, we, we'd rather go into the pigs. And so Jesus is like, sure, you can go in the pigs. And so he throws them into the pigs and the pigs, now being possessed by the same demons that were in this guy, they go wild, right? Berserk, running around, screaming, wheeling, right? Break, break down the barriers that were, you know, the hog pen, and they run straight off the cliff into the water and drown themselves. Okay. And the guys that were watching the pigs, they're like, well, that was weird. And they look over at Jesus and this man, and they know this guy, right? Hard to not know the guy that wears no clothes, right? They know him. And they see Jesus, and they're like, this ain't good. These two together, something smells fishy, right? So they run back into town and grab the owners of the pigs, right? And the owners of the pigs come out, see that the pigs are gone. They're like, hey, what happened to our pigs? And they're like, well, they went berserk, man. They, they drowned themselves in the, in the water. They're like, well, well how did that happen? Those two guys. And so they run over to see these two guys. Jesus and, you know, the maniac. And look what we find 
in this maniac who was in a grotesque condition. Before Jesus, no man could tame him. But look what happens when we see this great change that Jesus can make in verse 35. It says, They went out to see what was done and came to Jesus and found the man out of whom the devils were departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And they also, which saw it, told them by what means that he that was possessed of the devils was healed. Oh, I tell you, no man could tame him, but Jesus could. I tell you, no man could make a difference in this man's life, but Jesus could. And you know why? Because Jesus wasn't just a man. Jesus was God himself. For in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And I tell you, Jesus came not, not of flesh and blood, but from the Spirit of God, down to dwell amongst the filth of this world. Why? To seek and to save that which was lost. He had come to Gadara to meet this man who had been possessed by devils, who, who, whose life was in shambles, whose life had been ruined, and he came to make all the difference in his life. I just want you to notice the difference that Jesus makes in lives like this man. First of all, notice there is an um, emotional difference that's changed. There's an emotional change. First of all, it says that they saw him and he was sitting he was sitting. He's no longer um, roaming around in the wilderness. He's no longer constantly uh, uh, screaming and wailing. No, no, no. He is sitting. He is controlled. He's no longer like my son in a service, right? Running around, dancing during the, the music. He's having a blast back there. No, no, no. Now he's sitting, hands folded, like a good churchgoer, right? Sitting straight up like he's trying to earn the quiet seat price. But he's not just sitting. Notice where he's sitting. He's sitting at the feet of Jesus. I tell you, he's close to his Savior. He's close to this man. He's listening to every word he says. He's worshiping at his liberator's feet. Why? Because he had once been miserable. He had once uh, been trying to kill himself out in the wilderness. But yet here he was, healed, completely restored. And you know, he just sat there and said, Look, such a wretch was I. But now I'm set free. He understood the love that this man had for him. And here he is, sitting at his feet, leaning on every word he has to say. He just wants to get closer and closer and closer to Jesus. I tell you, that's not something you can produce in and of yourself. It is something that only comes from getting close to Jesus Christ. When you have an encounter with Jesus Christ, it changes your life emotionally, but it also changes you physically. Not only is he sitting at the feet of Jesus, but look what it says. He's sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed. Clothed. He put some clothes on. Hey, that's awesome. All right? I'm relieved. I don't know about you. Right? Now, I know some preachers will get up and they'll be like, bless God, when you get saved, you got to put more clothes on, not take more off. I don't think that's the application here, though. I'll tell you this, I'm from Yuma, and it's hot. You're from wherever you are here in Texas, and it's hot, right? Sometimes you just got to wear shorts, 
right? Sometimes it's not about, you know, obviously, if we're going to be Christ followers, we've got to wear turtlenecks, pea coats, sweatpants, and rain boots. And if you're extra spiritual, you get a, you, 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 you get a fedora. I don't think that's what he's talking about. No, rather, um, remember in Genesis chapter number three, Adam and Eve in the garden, they sin, and it, right? They take that forbidden fruit, right? And the Bible says that they took that forbidden fruit. Eve, when she saw that the tree was good for food, a tree to be, a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit and gave also to her husband. And the Bible says that when they realized they were naked, they were ashamed. And what do they do? They sew fig leaves together, right? They try to cover it up. And it's a picture of what we try to do with our sin. We try to cover up our sin. We try to cover up the things we're ashamed of. We try to sweep them under the rug so that nobody can see. And here we see this man who, before he met Jesus, was completely unashamed of his sin. He was completely unashamed of the life that he was living. He, he bore it all out for all to see. And yet when Jesus is, now, now that he's met Jesus, now that he's come face to face with Jesus, he covers that up. He senses that, he, he feels that sense of shame over his life of sin. And yet here he is at his feet, knowing that this man that he's talking to loves him for who he is and wants to change him into who he needs to be and here he is sitting at his feet listening to every word he's clothed ashamed of his sin look when you get an encounter with jesus that's when you'll become sorrowful over sin that's when you'll start to see sin like god sees it not how the world sees it that's when sin will start to get gross to you he's changed emotionally he's changed physically but he's also changed mentally he says he's sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. Notice, that's not what Luke is saying about this man. That's what these men that have come upon him are saying of this man. That he's sitting, clothed, and in his right mind. Now, right mind is not how I would have described the person at the beginning of the chapter. Right? Naked, living in the tombs. Not in your right mind. Yet here he is, and they notice, this guy's in his right mind. This guy's not brainwashed. This guy is here. This guy is, is thinking clearly. He is thinking correctly. He's in his right mind. His mind has been changed by the power of Jesus Christ. I tell you, what a complete makeover. What a complete makeover that Jesus makes. That's the difference that Jesus makes in a man. Uh, you guys might be too young for this, but um, my mom used to watch a show when I was a kid called The Extreme Makeover. You ever hear of this before? Extreme Makeover? I'll just give you a brief rundown of how the show worked. It was like this guy. I think uh, his name was uh, Ty Pennington or something like that. And uh, he would go and he would find, um, you know, like the saddest sob stories you could ever find. Like, like you know, he'd find these, these, this family that had like 800 kids and they were living in a single-bedroom house that had been burned down four times. You know, like, and like basically, you know, the finds like, oh, hey, this is your house, huh? A tent, you know? <laughs> and like, here they are. And they're like, yeah, this is our house. And they, they go through the whole story, right? And then, like, they take them into a room, and they're like, hey, out of the goodness of our hearts, we're going to give you, we're going to extreme makeover your house. And as you're watching, it's like, what's there to make over? I mean, it's, there's nothing there, you know? 
And like he starts, he starts walking through their house, you know, and he's like, right here, we're going to put a staircase up to the second floor. You're like, it's a one-story house. Like, how are you going to do that? You know, like, we're going to put a giant living space in here. We're going to have six bedrooms in the back. Like, That's not, this is physically impossible, right? Like, it's a tent, right? It's, it's not possible, right? And then all of a sudden, they get, like, all these volunteers to show up, right? And they, they take the family and their 800 kids, and they put them in a trailer for a week, you know? And, like, they, they get all these volunteers to come, and, like, from all over the place. Like, they're flying in, like, guys from everywhere coming in to build this house. And in, like, a week, right, it's done, right? And at the end of the show, they bring the family back. They get out of their car, and, like, in front of the house, right, they have, like, these, these poster boards on wheels, you know, so that, like, has, like, a before picture, like, this is what your house looked like. You remember it, you know? Yes. <laughs> like, well, all these people have come from all over the place to, to give you an extreme makeover house. Move that poster board, you know? And all of a sudden, they, they pull the wheels back, you know? And in sits this mansion of a house, you know? Like, what? You know, like, I mean, like, it's marble, right? It's got pillars of steel, you know. They walk in, it's like beautiful, right? It's got everything they ever possibly could have wanted in a house and 10 times more, right? Like, it's everything. And you're looking at, like, they're like this, the before and after pictures, right? And you're like, that's not the same house. This is all a con. This is a setup. This is some house in, like, India, right? Like that the king lives in, you know? Like, this is not the same house. It's impossible, right? Extreme makeover. And you sit there and it's like, there's no possible way you turn that into that. And I just had to think that's how these people thought when they came across Jesus and this maniac of Gadara. As they see him talking to Jesus, they're sitting there going, no, 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 that's not the same guy. No, there's no way that's the same guy. There's no way that's the same guy. That's the difference that Jesus wants to make in our lives. He wants to make us over so new, so, so, so new, that, that no one recognizes who we are. That's the difference he makes in this man. You say, wow, Eric, this is a great story. Fantastic. What does this got to do with me? Like, uh, I got clothes on. I don't live in a cemetery. What does this have to do with me? I'm not demon-possessed. I mean, Fortnite's got my mind, but not the demons, you know? Like, I'm not, like, demon-possessed. What does this have to do with me? You know, the truth is, the truth is this evening... We are all in a grotesque condition in the eyes of God. You say, are you really going to compare my sin to this guy? Like, you're going to compare my disobedience to this guy? See, this is the problem that we've developed in our country is that we think so highly of ourselves that we think it takes God's, it, the, we, we think it takes more of God's grace to save a guy like this than it does to save me or you. The truth is, you couldn't be farther from the truth. God looks at this man's sin and he looks at your sin, and I tell you, he looks at my sin and he sees the same problem. 
grotesque sin. The Bible says in Psalms 14 that the Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did good and understand and seek God. They are altogether become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Paul quotes that passage in Romans 3. says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Uh, there is none that seeketh after God. There is none that doeth right. Uh, their throat is an open sepulcher. The poison of asp is under their lips. With their tongues they use the seed. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their way. And the ways of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And we know that whatsoever things the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and that the whole world might become guilty before God. We are all guilty in the court of God. Our sin condemns us. The Bible says, for, for, uh, uh, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Short, meaning you'll never reach his standard. There's nothing you can ever do or, or say to earn or work your way to his glory. You come short of it Every, 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 every time. And we look at a guy like the maniac of Gadara and we say, well, clearly he falls short of the glory of God. But I tell you, God looks at your sin and says, yeah, you come short too. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter that I came less short than he did or you came less short than she did or I came less short than you did. No, no, no. At the end of the day, it matters whether you made it or not. And the truth is, in sin, we all come short of God's standard. Can't work, can't earn, nothing we can say or do to get there. But then Jesus walked in. Jesus walked in and he did for you and I what we can never do for ourselves. We call that grace. We call that unmerited favor. Jesus stepped out from heaven's doors and he stepped into our world as a babe wrapped in a swaddling clothes, laid in a manger. And that babe on Christmas Eve would grow 33 and a half years and live a perfect and sinless life. And he would die on a cross not for crimes he had done, but for crimes that you have done and crimes that I have done for past, present, future sins of the entire world born on his back. And on that cross, he cried, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And I tell you, he wasn't just talking to the crowd there that day. No, he was looking through eternity's phone book and he was forgiving you and he was forgiving me. And as he pulls up on those nails and cries, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It was in that moment that he took all of humanity's sin and he bore it on his back. And he who knew no sin became sin for me so that we might be made the righteousness of God. He took my place. He died on my cross. He paid for my sin. He made a way when there was no way. He made the difference. He made the difference. Peter puts it this way in Second Peter chapter number um, <clears throat> in Second Peter chapter number. 
Where's it at? First uh, Peter chapter three, verse number eighteen. He says, "For Christ also has suffered once for for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God." That he might bring us to God who once was dead but now hath quickened through the Spirit. In other words, he says, look, there's nothing you can ever do to earn or work your way to God. So Christ comes down to bring us himself before God. I tell you, God meets his own standard. Christ meets the standard of his Father. And as he died, as he died on that cross that day, he made a way for you to be brought into the very presence of God have a relationship, to have fellowship with him. And it's through that relationship that your life can be changed and made new. For, 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 for if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. New. It is through the cross of Calvary that Christ offers hope for our hopelessness. He he offers us a way for all who are lost. He accepts the abandoned and forsaken, and he brings mercy to our misery. I tell you, it's Christ who makes all the difference. And perhaps tonight you sit here, and for the first time, you're, you're starting to see yourself a little bit in this maniac of Gadara. And you start to see your sin a little bit like his. And you say, well, I mean, I mean, there's his sin is just just not I'm not catching it. His sin, his sin seems far more than my sin. I tell you, James says it this way. He says that sin is sin. In fact, he says that whosoever keepeth the whole law yet offended in one point, he is guilty of it all. You know what that means? That means that you can live a perfect life, never do anything wrong, but tell one lie, and you're guilty of all the sins in the Bible. It means that you can be like the coolest girl in the world, Everyone loves you, everything's great, but you lose your temper one time and you're guilty of breaking all the law. You say, well, Eric, obviously no one can meet those standards. You're you're starting to understand. This isn't about us. This, This is something we cannot do. We cannot be perfect in the eyes of God. We must see ourselves as in the same position as this man, hopeless, wandering, lost. And we must see him as that shepherd who would leave the 99 to find the one. And we must see him as the loving father who would take us in spite of what we've done, in spite of who we are, and take us and love us and die on a cross for our sins. And the Bible says that for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saved from your hopeless condition and sin and made a new creature in God. See yourself as a sinner this evening. And look to the Savior and find yourself as one of his children. Call out to him to save you from your sin.
But that's not where the story ends. I want to notice something real quick here. Give me five more minutes and we're done. Grotesque condition, great change, but then notice what happens next. Verse 37, then the whole multitude of the country of the the Gadareans round about him, besought him to depart from them, for they were taken with great fear. And he went back into a ship and returned back again. So just to fill you in the holes, these guys that came and saw their pigs gone, right? They come, they recognize the change in the man, and they, they're fearful. They're like, if this guy can control this guy, we're in trouble, because no one else can control this guy. So rather than being relieved that, that the greatest problem of their city has been, 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 been fixed, they're terrified. They push Jesus away. They say, get in that boat, get out of here, we don't want you Jesus doesn't resist. He gets in a boat. He's getting ready to leave. And look what happens in verse number 38. Now the man, out of whom the devils were departed, besought him that he might be with him. That makes sense to me, right? He comes to Jesus. He says, "Uh, hey, they don't want you here. They ain't going to want me here, right? Like, can I come with you? I want to hear more of what you have to teach. I want to hear more of your ways. He says, uh, let me come with you. He besieges him. But watch what Jesus says. But Jesus sent him away saying, and I find this comical, return to thine own house. He doesn't have a house. He lives in the tombs. He says, go back to your own house and show how great things God hath done unto thee. Uh, Mark is a little more comical. He says that Jesus told him to go home to thy friends. You think this guy had any friends? You walk around naked for a week. See how many friends you have left. This guy had no friends. He says, go home. Go, go to your friends and show them how great things the Lord hath done for you. Now notice, he doesn't say go tell them. He says go show them. Go live out the change that I've made in your life before these. Tell them, show them it was God who made this change. Show them what great things Jesus Christ had done for you. And I watch it, watch it, watch what he says. Verse 40, uh, no, sorry, verse 39, return to the house, show how great things God had done unto thee. And he went his way and published throughout the whole city how great things Jesus had done unto him. And it came to pass that when Jesus returned, the people gladly received him for they were all waiting for him. So verse 39 ends kind of in a sad moment, right? This guy wants to go with Jesus. Jesus says, no, you got to stay here. Go home. Go tell your friends. You're kind of like, he doesn't have any friends. He doesn't have a home. Like Jesus just kind of left him hanging. And sometimes Maybe, maybe we could even say, well, like, Jesus told him to go home to his friends. Well, he didn't have a home, he didn't have any friends, so I guess that meant that didn't apply to him. But, 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 but look what he did. He went throughout the whole city, and he published it. He published it. You know what that means? It means he declared it. He lived it out. He opened up his Facebook app and posted something about what Jesus had done. He says, hey, wearing clothes now check he checked in at his new home he knocked on the doors in his neighborhood can you imagine when that person opens that door opens the door oh no it's you hey uh 
You look different. Yeah. What's different about you? Well, I'm going to tell you about a man named Jesus who changed my life. Around town, people looked at him and they're like, hey, I, have I seen you before? Yeah, probably more than you want to. <laughs> you seem different. What's, what's different about you? I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you about this man named Jesus who changed my life. You know what that means? It means he went to the very people that pushed his Savior out and said, hey, you know that guy you just kicked out? He changed my life. He changed my life. This story teaches us that you cannot experience the change that Jesus brings to your life and then refuse to share it with somebody else. It's impossible. It's impossible. When you experience the radical change that Jesus can bring to your life, you will then go to great lengths to radically display that change to others. You'll be passionate to show everybody else the change that Christ has made in your life. Now catch this and we're done. Jesus only enters into the realm of the Gadarians two times in Scripture. He only goes to the Decapolis area two times in Scripture. First time, he comes, he meets one guy outside of the city and changes his life, and they push him out of the city. Say, we don't want anything to do with you. Get out of here. The second time he comes to the region of Decapolis, the Bible says the entire city is waiting on the shoreline, ushering him in. They've brought sick, they've brought diseased, they've brought children, they've brought adults, they've brought everybody to the shores to hear what this man has to say. What makes the difference? What made the difference between first time, first visit, second visit? I don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us. But I have a theory and I think I'd put my life on it. That the difference was one guy went and did what Christ told him to. He went and shared it. He went and showed people that Christ made a difference in his life. And so I ask you tonight two, two questions. One, if you find yourself in the position of the maniac of Gadara before Jesus, would you meet Jesus tonight and find true change in your life as you learn who a Savior is? who died for your sins, who wants to love you and accept you when no one else will. But secondly, if you've already experienced that change, why are you hiding it? Why is it that it's hard to tell? Man, may on the first night of camp, we make a decision that, that, that this week, we're going to live out the change that Jesus can make. Because Jesus Christ makes all the difference.